0: It's probably coming down to again that understanding of brand it's not like you haven't had one if you've been mm. operating and you don't think that you've had a brand but you've been in business for 10 years you do have a brand it's just that you've not curated it and mm. it's what people are thinking of you now so if you're walking around and you're not wearing a uniform and you don't have a branded car and you don't have a business card that you're handing out people still have an opinion of you and that's your personal brand. And if you've got yeah. a team, well, your organisational brand is collect the collective perception of you and your team and sort of work
1: that you've Karen Jack is the founder of Obvious Brand Partners, a creative agency building brands with purpose based in Wellington. For catchphrase, stand out for what you stand for. In this episode of the Small Business and Entrepreneur Podcast, we focus on brand building. Everything you need to know about brand building is in this podcast. We also dive into kieran's origin story how he started obvious brand partners and everything else in between we really appreciate your time and if we could ask for one favor it would be to share this podcast with a colleague or a friend rate our podcast on whatever platform you're on and for you to have a great day kia ora. how are you kia ora. thanks for having me on craig love to catch up with you again you well i'm very well thank you very much like usual, I'm in the not-so-sunny centre of the North Island, Rotorua, recording this. Whereabouts are you in the country?
0: I am standing in the slightly disheveled back room of my office in Wellington on Willis Street. And it is a standard, miserable grey day here in Wally. Uh, but not it, all for it. That's why the hair looks a little bit like
1: it does. <laughs> hey, man, we've got a whole bunch of cool questions to run through. And I've just learned something um, about you in the pre recording chat that i'm going to chat to you about too so you're the founder of obvious um, brand partners and notice boards too so i didn't know anything about that until just before so i will get into that but before i do i always ask this one question and the first ever question is what was your first ever paid job that you got any sort of money for whether that might have been pocket money for doing the lawns or whatever it might have been
0: that's a good question um that one particular thing actually does sort of trigger a bit of a response I actually really vividly remember um parents having like this pocket money thing right and I, I actually went out and I remember this one instance in Queenstowns where I grew up and I took scissors to the lawn because I didn't have <laughs> <laughs> so I literally cut the lawn with scissors I think that was probably one of the earlier childhood entrepreneurial spirits uh, I also vividly remember going and uh, Borrowing or appropriating the plums of my neighbour's trees and selling those around the neighbourhood. Um, I think we actually ended up selling them back to the neighbours that we took them from. So that was a, a journey. But thanks to the Argyles. Give you a cheeky nod. They're lovely people. <laughs> thanks, Argyles. Nice plums. Yeah, nice plums. Great plums. Um, and then I think the, the first place that I probably worked, goodness thing, I think I packed shells at night and day when I was a little sprog. Uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Probably nothing. <laughs>
1: 247 in Queenstown. Very nice. nice. So can you, um, moving on from those days, packing shelves or stacking shelves, can you give us the, the care and origin story from where you sort of grew up, went to school, or you've already said Queenstown, mm-hmm. and then your first professional job, and then how you ended up being the founder of an agency?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I guess my backstory is uh, it's been a bit of an interesting journey. I went to uh, school in Queenstown as I walked to be a high school boy. Um uh, Loved my rugby until a knee injury which put me out of that um you wouldn't guess it now but i was actually half decent at rugby although i'm a scrawny sod now um and then really had a, a knack for things like photography and i was really involved in doing things uh in the photography and creative design space really enjoyed those classes uh particularly because i was largely out of action with a damaged knee and uh, found myself really pursuing those did reasonably well um, at that time, in my later years of high school, I was also a salesperson at Noel Leeming. Uh, mm-hmm. So I guess as part of that, I learned a, a few of the tricks of the trade in terms of you know, persuasive conversations and more importantly, listening to people and understanding what they wanted. And um, I found that was a really you know, good training ground for learning uh, how to interact with a really vast array of people um, from all walks of life who wanted different things, whether it was a, a kettle or a microwave or a full lounge you know, set up with AV and whatever else. And the tech side of that was really what got me in there. And it's how I ended up buying my cameras and whatever else. Uh, I guess from there, I always knew I was going to go to uni. I always had my eyes on Massey um, to be a College of Creative Arts kid. Uh went through that. And I suppose from that part of the journey was really about figuring out whether or not I was going to pursue a career in it. I always found myself able to do freelancing from a young age. I was doing freelance gigs, photography and graphic design um, throughout high school. I found it quite comfortable to be able to go off and sell that sort of stuff. I remember the first moment of seeing a design that I did, which was for a eatery kitchen cafe type thing in Dunedin, um, right on the Octagon. And I wasn't in Dunedin, so the first time that I went to Dunedin, I saw this big sign up that I designed and I was probably about 17 at the time. I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. It's in the real world. It makes it real. Um, But then, you know, went through uni uh, and, you know, hop, skipped and jumped through a couple of little startups at that time. And really, I I think, you know, cut my teeth in terms of what it would look like to be in that agency space. You know, the hard yards, the grind, the grift, the the, uh, dealing with sort of the uncertainty and randomness of it all. Uh, And then picked up a job post uni. Uh, I got my design, my honours degree with Massey uh, in graphic design and... I guess I decided that I wanted to find a way to use the photography. So design made sense to bring those two together. So I could use design to host my photography and then marketing found its way into hosting both of those two things. Cause I could propel my graphic design, my marketing stuff through marketing. And then the agency journey really found like a way of being able to do marketing, but under my own personal agency. Like how do I feel like I've got autonomy or I feel like I've got control over my own actions or the clients that I want to work with. Um, I was the, sort of senior designer and marketing guy at Welting Confidireo for about three and a half years. I uh, really enjoyed that space. Uh, learned how to do student attraction campaigns, how to go to market, how to do out-of-home, a, home, a bit of digital advertising, you know, everything in print you could put your, you know, put a name on. It was like really a deep dive, cut my teeth in like the heavy-duty marketing and design space. Um but after working in house for a while, I really started to realize that I I wanted the discipline the most word I'm looking for, the the diversity of things. I wanted the variety of agency, clients, the mixed bag of everything. So that every new week we had something new coming in and feeling unique. So I really, I think I stood out and did that. And I guess the, the origin story with the agency with obvious was that I I bumped into a couple of fellows, Michael and Jared, uh, who are my co-founders and, They were working on a project called Study Spy and we joined forces together on that to sort of start obvious and sort of elevate what was New Zealand Study International at that time and bring it to market. And, you know, we did that really collaboratively and successfully for a couple of years um, until times were that we just went in our separate directions and so that we could pursue different different things. Um, The origin story of the word and name obvious is an interesting one because I remember pacing around the, the backyard with Michael at one point. And saying to him after three months of deliberating what we were going to call the agency, I said to him, you know, oh, Michael, you know, whatever we call this company, it, it just has to be obvious. And <laughs> we all had this like, light bulb moment of just being like, "Ah!" Oh. Like a splash of cold water on the face. And it was there. And, it, you know, once it was obvious, it was never going to be anything else.
1: Hmm. So what year are we talking now when um, Obvious was first born? Born, <laughs> yeah, it would have been 2018 when we found it obvious. Yeah, cool. So we're two 2- 2- twenty three right now. Yeah. So I might just dig into obvious um, partners or brand partners to start with, or let's just call it obvious. Sure. How on earth did you get your first ever client? But like, what was what, what? You know what I mean? Like, how do you go? Okay, we're a new business. We need to we need to find a client. How are we going to do this? I think
0: I was probably quite fortunate in that, Mm. uh, as I said, I had no trouble freelancing. So throughout my high school years, my university years, I'd been freelancing up until that point. And I remember um, in the decisions around wanting to start an agency, it was actually largely in part because I was at capacity as a freelancer. Uh, And I remember I had 17 client projects all all on all at once. And at that point, that that was like, I'm stacked, I don't have enough space to take on any more freelance projects and so for me it was almost just a matter of saying I need some help and Mm. not even going out and looking for the projects or clients it was more uh, actually I need more people to help me deliver this work that we're doing Um, so it was actually more a question of like how do we find our first staff member more than it was how do we find our our first client project
1: Mm. so who was that first and not not actually the person like how did you what how did you figure out who to hire first or was it was it based on demand for the designer or content creator or what was it for, in, in your mind how did you decide okay this is the first this needs to be our first high yeah
0: I mean outside of having some co-directors and co-leadership um, the first appointment was a keen bean third year student and that was literally the subject in our email uh, to us we knew that we needed some creative talents in the team um, having been a Massey student myself I really had a regard for the caliber of creative that was coming out of uni um so i'd messaged my tutors and i said i would love to come in you know provide an opportunity to maybe some graduates or some fourth years that are sort of top of their class and see if the, you know that they'd like to come on board mm. and give it a nudge and i remember going in and doing this sort of speech and you know probably feeling all like top of the world because i'm starting an agency and how cool is this and mm. uh, some some young gun students and I got this email afterwards after all the fourth years had sort of come up and expressed their interest. I mean, I got this email quietly afterwards and it says, I'm a keen year third year student and I was too shy to come up and say hi to you. Um, however, here's my portfolio and I'm really interested in any opportunities you had. Uh, her portfolio basically shat on everybody else's. And, <laughs> and, I was, and, and this is Ellie. Uh, and Ellie has been with us since five years. Um, and so, yeah, she, she was appointment number one and has remarkably chosen to stick around and deal with my bullshit this entire time.
1: <laughs> awesome. Can you talk us through the the business journey from the last five years? Because obviously we've gone through I don't want to use a word, but I'm going to say it anyway, unprecedented <laughs> things over the last two years, you know, with the pandemic. Um, can you just talk us through the journey or maybe let's talk about some of the biggest challenges that you've you've faced and how you've mentally had to try and manage those
0: uh, i think first and foremost when you're working in creative industries um, particularly in the agency world you have to have resilience grip, grind and a, a really thick skin uh, Fortunately, i'm ginger so i was, I was born with that uh, so it's nice and easy for me to push through all of that um, i think some of the hardest things were not having the necessary business acumen to begin with like i was Creative. I started a business and had no formal business training outside of the you know sort of success in the freelance world that I'd had. Um, so that was a bit of a steep learning curve, and you know that's where people like se and you know Michael as a co-founder were brilliant because they had a greater sensibility and frankly were a lot more organized and disciplined than I was in that space. So I literally had all of those 17 projects in my head and was dealing with them all just in my head. And suddenly there's project management tools and spreadsheets and financing and things that I just never really paid too much attention to because I was along for the creative journey of it.
1: Mm.
0: Um, we Took a, a startup approach, I suppose, which was not having an office and being like, "Sweet, we'll do this from our basements and our, you know, living rooms and whatever else to, to kick things off." But it wasn't soon before long that the relationship that I'd had at WellTech and 30 Day I played paid dividends, and we were sort of given a, a really good space to have kick things off in one of their campuses. Uh, it was really our first office, and that was on Courtney Place. Uh, was the shi- uh, size of a shoebox, so it was tiny, but was brilliant uh, gave us that sense of it all feeling real um, since then we've sort of hop skipped and jumped through about four or five different offices and um, just to sort of expanded and as I suppose we all kind of went on our different journeys we realized that that what we were doing for ourselves was less about cr- having a creative agency as it, much as it was being empowered with agency for ourselves and so that meant being able to work when we wanted to where we wanted to how we wanted to and so when people, say ellie decided that she was moving to christchurch be damned if i was you know having to say goodbye sorry your employment's over like mm. we were cool with that like go off to christchurch and keep doing this with us because it's fantastic and there's nothing stopping you being a designer in christchurch and still doing work for us here in wellington and so we easily and just i like, naturally adopted this remote first remote friendly policy and that is true to where we are now we do have an office here Wellington um, and it's really probably treated like a bit of a bonus to the team and to the culture. It's not a default requirement that we show up every single day, but the team do. Uh, I guess Mm -hmm. that's just an estimate to the culture that we're trying to foster, but it's not a expectational requirement. Um, So when COVID hit, it was actually the the day, I think after or before my birthday, um, and we went thrust ourselves into lockdown. Um, I remember the panic from other businesses, thinking that that was shocking and scary, and not having a single instance of that feeling, just being like, "Well, this is what we've been doing for you know a couple of years at this point. Like, surely this is normal for people. Surely people should be comfortable with this." And it turned out that we just kind of glided through that COVID period of lockdowns and working from home and whatever else super comfortably because all of our processes by that point had been designed to be online and to be hosted with project management tools and
1: software like Slack and Google meets and all the rest. Hmm. Are there any tools that you leaned into more whilst you were working in that COVID phase than you would have normally done? And now you sort of keep them rolling through now then and yeah. like silver lining sort of things. Yeah,
0: for sure. I mean, I think that there's something to be said for project management tools um i mean we've tried everything under the sun from monday.com to asana to productive i think we're on teamwork at the moment and we've we've tried all of these things and we just kind of keep iterating and playing and testing to see which has worked Mm -hmm. um to be honest they're all much of a muchness uh, depending on what you actually need or the clients or the type of team that you have but that is certainly one part of the infrastructure that i don't think an agency could operate without i do hear occasionally that people just live inside google calendar and i kind of wonder how that's possible. I look at my own Google Calendar, I, I live in my calendar. However, it's a cluster. It's, I don't know how somebody could you know, run their diaries and be so organized and have track of everything just in Google Calendar. So uh, there's that. Um, also, just a big Slack fan. Frankly, uh, Slack is you know, a large proponent of fostering our culture as a team. Um, the, the GIFs, the sort of avatars, we're, we've made custom emojis for ourselves of ourselves that we use to kind of tease each other with when somebody does something silly or is to be rewarded about something, we chuck up a face of themselves and it's usually quite often. It's me doing something dumb.
1: (laughs) So for the audience out there who are not very familiar with Slack, could you give a Slack 101?
0: Sure. Um, Slack might need to reimburse me for this if this is a sales pitch. (laughs) Slack 101. Slack is, as far as I'm concerned, uh, an internal communications platform for an organization. It's basically instant messaging uh, with an internal team focus, Uh, but what it enables us as well is to invite guests or to have different rooms, chats, groups for other collaborators as well. So we partner or collaborate with a bunch of different agencies or organizations, or sometimes it's clients, and we create private spaces for us to have communications and conversations. And I think that's really valuable, but the most of the most of the time it's how hey, we've got this internal design project and feedback backwards and forth backwards and forth mm. you know a bit of teasing and banter thrown into the mix of it mm-hmm. backwards and forth and uh it keeps track of the conversations without necessarily having to jump on a video call when you're r- remote and i just think the nature of the way that we do things at obvious is very conversational we don't take a transactional first approach everything that we do is based on relationships and conversation so having a place to be conversational in and to foster that sort of nature of mode, I suppose that's yeah, you know, pivotal to us. So I would encourage anyone to get onto Slack and Slack, you can pay me for that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Slack payment to obvious partners. We'll, we'll give it a crack. Hey, has there been a an or could you share an example of a project that you you and the team have worked on over hope- So at the end of the day, I think that
0: organizations that have uh, a sense of direction and purpose are much better at communicating or having an audience resonance around what their brand actually is because they kind of know what they stand for and that's why our, our sort of company mission is to help those organizations stand out for what they stand for because mm. it's what's going to pull on your heartstrings it's going to give you that sort of emotional resonance or emotional attachment or connection with that brand that matters rather than you know just a, a clever little swish or whatever whatever else I think the Nike example is interesting because people will recognize this wish, but they will associate it with athletics and pro-athletes and like that go out and just get it done, let's do it. Attitude. Um, but it's that value alignment, that that drive, that motivation sentiment that's more relevant and that, that connects with people than it is just the tick.
1: Mm-hmm. What it means, the meaning yeah, what behind I'm... it. Because we never I've never been cookied by Nike. <laughs> I've nah. never, I've never been served oh. an advert to buy some shoes. Um,
0: you bought Nike or do you, are you converse kind of guy?
1: I don't have. I don't. I just buy whatever shoes um, fit the purpose. So if I look at my wardrobe, I've got all boots. I'm wearing Vans at the moment. Yeah. If I if I've, I I I've got motorbikes, I've got motorbike shoes specific to the tool. <laughs> I've got gum boots streets, yeah, so. I, <laughs> I don't to be honest.
0: I'm not even convinced I'm wearing a single branded piece. Of, Clothing, like I, I'm a secondhand op shop kind of guy, which yeah, is, yeah that's, that's an interesting thought. I, I don't. literally looking at me and I'm like, I don't think there's a single label on me.
1: Generally, I'm wearing merch or um stuff that I have from event. This is from Liat from so this is from Duncan. Yeah. Thank you, gave me this hat. He owns a company called ADU Industries. This one is fishing and adventure. What do I got under here? This is on oh, this is definitely an event top. This is Adventure Expo. Love it. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I'm I
0: just... personal brands and identities are connected to what you know they value right like mm. uh, I'm a surfer and so I think my whole thing is just about that sort of sur- surfer escapism um and so my personal style is probably an ex- extension of that um I'm not going to go out there and just choose to wear brands because they're popular right they've got to matter to me and I think that that's the point around brand resonance
1: mm. if I was if you were to ask me the question about what brand had, had an impact on my life it would mm. definitely be Quicksilver and Kelly Slater. Yes. Cool. Just because he's such, he's still <laughs> the, the, the best surfer in my opinion in the world. And he was when I was super young as well. And he was part of the reason why I, I I'm connected to the ocean as well. So Quicksilver and Kelly Slater are mm. um, uh, uh, two Things and that I grew up with, and brand, and maybe GM to kind of more cricket bets. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. uh, that's just, awesome. I mean, it's interesting, right? Like when you first asked me that question, I was thinking uh, projects that we delivered. Uh, that's yeah. how I took the question when you asked. And I think if I was to broaden my perspective of that and think about which brands, it's going to sound super cliche. You can probably guess which brand I'm going to say, but it's Apple, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> this design agency owner isn't going to. Um, Give kudos to Apple for what they've done. But I mean, it was Steve, right? It's, I mean, I know this because I posted it on my LinkedIn only a couple of days ago, but oh, yeah. Steve's announcement speech of the Think Different campaign mm. in Sweden, he actually goes and he has that famous moment where he talks about values marketing. And he's like, don't promote a product, don't promote a service. People don't care. What they do care about is values and the things that the benefits that it's going to offer you. How's it going to enhance your life and why should you care, not what it is that it is? You know? I don't know necessarily that that's still something that they're doing. Um, but it was that sort of emotional sentiment to me that I was like, that's aspirational, that's motivating. And I want to do that because I don't know, I feel like I give a fuck about a lot. And if I can take that energy and inject, inject it into an organization and help them propel themselves forward for the things that they care about,
1: then I'm here for that. So if someone listening listened to this podcast right now, and they've got a business, small business. Let's say it's a cafe, and they're like, "Man, I don't have any brand identity. I'm just a cafe. I've called, I'm just called coffee shop." Mm-hmm. What would you suggest would be a good first step for a business like that? It, it could be anything. It could be a carpenter. It could be a plumber. It could be a florist. It could be anyone.
0: Yeah, I mean, for unless you're engaging a, a design professional or branding professional, the things that I would like think to consider for themselves would be taking a bit of an introspective look about why you're doing it beyond profit um Mm -hmm. a lot of people will tell you when you you know i ask them your why are you doing what you're doing and they'll tell me it's the bottom line that's because they make money and it pays the bills well i don't really believe in that um i think that they're doing it because it solves a problem or that it has a purpose and i think that anyone who's in business or running a business or going to start a business or has some sort of entrepreneurial mindset you should be thinking about what it is and why that you're wanting to do what problem it is that it's going to solve. I think once you've been able to articulate what that purpose is, you can pursue that purpose and drive all of your energy behind fulfilling that. Um, I'd be looking at things like your your values and making sure that you understand what it is that you're standing for so that you can help communicate those things. And then again, always just fall back on those. So does this go against my values? Am I doing this for the wrong reasons? And if you are, then the bad decisions, I think you've got to just be able to have enough conviction to, pursue the thing that you want to solve and why you're doing it Um, I think there's never a time that's too early or too late to be thinking about brand I've spoken to people who haven't started businesses that want to talk about brand I've been dealing with people who have been running businesses or have businesses that have been around for 10 15 20 years that it's time to re-energize that brand Um, the way I look at it I guess with with brand and it's um, I've got a convenient place pop one here's a cactus that says grow 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 um, the way I look at brand it's probably almost a little bit like a cactus, it's that it exists, but it's going to keep growing and changing, and it needs to be nurtured and maintained over time. Mm-hmm. And if you don't water a pot plant, eventually it will die. And I think that the point is that you've just got to continue to keep looking after these things so that they maintain relevance because the industry changes, the economy, the environment, society, trends, ideologies, all of those things change, technologies change. So having a brand that stays the same and sits under its own principle for the last 20 years probably isn't relevant or as relevant as it was then. Um, it's not to say that you have to reinvent the wheel every year, but it is just about sort of trimming it every now and then. It just makes sure that it's got a fresh haircut, which, to be fair, I could probably use at this point.
1: I'm just thinking today I had an experience with a electrician who came into a house because none of the lights in my at-home office are working at the moment. None of them. I thought I had something another issue, but apart from him having a ladder on the top of his roof of his vehicle and a and a tool belt, I, he had no nothing. It was just a could have been me turn up with a name about. I feel that there are people who just do the mahi, do the work to get a paycheck, but not just to get a paycheck. It's there's. They might have, they have a mortgage, they probably have a couple of kids maybe, have a boat, they have a couple of cars, they have payments, they have staff to pay for as well. Do you think that if that, let's say, said person said, okay, cool, let's get some branding, let's wear, let's wear or wear some some similar type of kits so we all look professional, we have mm-hmm. some, um, um, something You know what about for that electrician out there he's thinking listen this guy man he just pretty much just described me (laughs) or maybe if it is you i apologize (laughs) if you listen to my podcast
0: Uh, we love those folk. they've been doing the the hard money this whole time and i mean electricians are amazing people i need them all the time too Mm. uh look i think that it's it's probably coming down to again that understanding of brand it's not like you haven't had one if you've been Mm. operating and you don't think that you've had a brand but you've been in business for 10 years you do have a brand It's just that you've not curated it and Mm. it's what people are thinking of you now. So if you're walking around and you're not wearing a uniform and you don't have a branded car and you don't have a business card that you're handing out, people still have an opinion of you and that's your personal brand. And if you've got Mm. a team, well, your organizational brand is the collective perception of you and your team and the sort of work that you put in and if you're good people or not. Um, At the end of the day, a visual identity and the extended brand environment of things like uh collateral and cars all of those things are just designed to help further communicate to reinforce the things that you want to say that's your projection part of branding to help inform your perception because you have this opportunity to put something you know professional on if you do like a a nice clean design well that says I care about these things and I'm putting my best foot forward and I'm stepping up to be a little bit more visually you know professional than if I just wore my ragtag mufti to do this job but if you're an electrician you know that mufti uniform is part of your aesthetic because you're not going to go out and wearing this you know, nice high collar top are you so mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's really coming down to having authenticity and integrity and honesty with the type of work that you do and living into that um people have asked me you know in business oh, about you so you're a suit and I would say nope <laughs> not a chance <laughs> I, I'm yeah. going yeah. not who I am you know I'm never going to ask my team to wear a uniform but if we decide to rock some branded merch. Uh, We got hoodies in our first year. Uh, I've got some beanies on the way, but depending on when you put this podcast out, that'll be a surprise to the team. Um, I think those things are things that bring people together as a team. It's about Mm. creating some brand consistency and a shared voice. And it comes back to that idea that a company is the company Mm. you keep. And if all of my team are my brand and my brand ambassadors, then I want them to share the same values and the same communications that the brand stands for.
1: Mm. I feel that, the reason why I reach out to that electrician is that a good friend of mine is a carpenter. Mm-hmm. I was like, Graham, I've got some issues with my lights. aka I don't have any going at the moment in a couple of my rooms. He goes, Oh, I make call this guy. He's he's epic at his job. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he lives up, up road from you too. So he'll come down, no problems, fix you up. So then is reputation brand? 100%. Yeah, it's exactly
0: that. It's the perception that somebody has
1: of you or your
0: organization. Mm-hmm. That's your reputation. Um, people. Will recommend that person because they've got a good reputation and that's good brand reputation. That person's done good work and they're reputable. Um, You can equally have a bad brand reputation for doing bad things and word gets around. That's why you should never burn your bridges. Um, I think that When we talk about brand, we're not just a visual identity design house. We're not just graphic designers. We're strategists and communicators. And we think about the tone of voice that we use and the channels that we use to communicate. And they could be out of home or they could be digital or I might do chalk on the side of the road because it's going to connect with uh, the right audience at the right time and say the right thing. I think it's important not to typecast brand as a logo, but to think about brand as the things that someone's going to think about you or to have a walk away and have a perception about you because of the things that you've outwardly projected, whether you've done that intentionally or not, and I'm encouraging everybody to do it with intent, to be purposeful with that message.
1: Mm-hmm. I knew from the get go, going back to the Sparky, that he was going to be awesome. <laughs> He'd Comes like, yep, 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 yep. This, 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 this. I was like, all right, you go, <laughs> you go, you go to it, please. Thank you. Cool. Awesome. Hey, um, I did want to move on to. Cool. A thing that i learned about you just before when before we were on air is you've you've got another side hustle or business let's say not side hustle called notice boards can you t- talk us through what that is
0: yeah uh, so, so notice boards is an interesting one um as i said in the start of the podcast you know, my background was working in sort of design marketing space for well taken 30 day up, and that was education and um, i remember at the time thinking how difficult it was to get a message to young people uh, because you couldn't just walk into the school and the, really the best you had was things like open days or maybe playing in the social media space or putting some marketing on the side of a bus that you'd hope that would go past a, a secondary school right and so that's where uh, me and Michael really clicked was that he was building a product that was essentially an online prospectus for education in New Zealand at all the universities the polytechnics the PTEs, whatever else, putting all of that in one space so that students had greater accessibility to that information. Notice boards is another way of thinking about that, but we thought, well, we've still, you know, it's great to put it online, but there's still got to be a way to get this into that environment, right? It's kind of this brand idea. How do I put the right message in the right place at the right time? And so, notice boards is essentially a billboard network inside secondary schools around the country. Uh, there's 40 schools. We reach 45,000 students every day. And it's pushing out a message that is, you know, career-driven health and well-being opportunities that exist outside of school. Uh, it's certainly not pushing an agenda like uh, V and a pie combo or any product. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> uh,
0: it's, it's very much designed around, like, future-focused opportunities for young people, um, mm. but that's purely built out of the background of realising how difficult it was or almost like a shortfall in the system that there wasn't a solution for this. And knowing that nobody else was going to do that, it just felt like the right thing to do to go out and do it myself.
1: So, so talk me through the business. So do you um, purchase real estate, put LED screens up and then run all of the media from a central hub somewhere or or do, or do they sort of own it and put in whatever they want?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I sort of, I don't know. I communicate about it almost like a social enterprise, right? Um, schools are strapped for cash and they're strapped for time. And mm-hmm. I don't really believe in the idea of charging those secondary schools for this solution, uh, because the design is there to empower the the schools to have their own messaging up there as well, and so you know we provide the screens to the schools for free as long as it's in a high thoroughfare location, it's going to have visibility, it's not locked behind a career advisor's room, uh, but it is in a space that people are going to you know, be walking past in the transient way. Um, the idea being is that those that staff can then share peer-to-peer stories, you know, what's going on on campus, daily notices, um, celebrating student or cultural achievements that are going on, sporting achievements mm. and that stuff. But for us, the model is that, you know, the people that are putting the messaging on those screens, it's the content providers that pay and then essentially subsidise the platform uh, to make sure that it keeps running. <laughs> so mm. those are universities, polytechnics, um, yeah. Rare advisors i suppose it's anyone with a job opportunity anything that's relevant to rangatahi and making sure that they're getting messaging that's relevant for them to be making better or more informed decisions for the future
1: mm. awesome so in 40 schools what's the plan uh, what what's like the, the 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 future plans for notice boards
0: uh, i mean i've always i've always said that i wanted to be in every school in the country <laughs> mm. i think um we've been very careful to not um Design it so that it only reaches a particular type of audience, you know, a, a selection of schools, because there's a waiting list, right? Like people are like, oh, great, free screen that's going to support my students. That sounds fantastic. And I can use it to communicate our stuff. Sign me up. Um, the mm. truth is, there's a waiting list because the, we just can't afford to roll out that many screens because mm. it's essentially a um, social enterprise. The plan for us is to continue to grow it organically and to do it based on the continued demand. I mean, the media partners that we work with acknowledge that the larger the network gets the more demand there is because of the greater the reach and the more appetizing that looks to the people that have this content that they want to put out so you've got a university well you know when it was five schools they weren't really that interested as soon as it got to 10 to 20 to 30 to 40 suddenly it's a lot more appetizing to them so i think for us we're kind of on something where it's like the larger that we get the more interest that there is but it's a self-sustaining model where we have to grow organically and not suddenly launch another 400 schools and find ourselves without the media to put on those screens, because at the same time, we want to make sure that the content is not too repetitive, that it's always interesting, that we can refresh it in a meaningful way. Um, And that's always adding value to that school environment.
1: Epic. So I'll I'll move back to the obvious brand partners. What would be, what does success look like for you with with obvious? And I don't don't know if it's obvious or not. I
0: mean, I'd like to think it was obvious. it's interesting right like you talk to a couple of founders and some entrepreneurs in the early years and the things that motivate them and there's kind of this idea of growth and i love the idea of growth but not necessarily transactional growth we've been at a team size that's nearly twice what we are now and quite honestly i find myself feeling as successful now as i did then i don't think that growth necessarily or success necessarily needs to be representative of how much money you're turning over or the number of people that are in your team i think success looks like you know, what does your culture look like within your team and are you doing work that you're proud of and that you know brings you energy every day um, and clients that you enjoy working with and the relationships that you have? Are they meaningful? So I'm someone who success is probably this idea of agency again and not to own a creative agency, but to have agency. And that's to, you know, when I want to be able to wake up in my camper van on the coast and go for a surf before I check my emails and then maybe go for a surf again. And then come back into a design project because i'm um, i believe in what they're doing so i'm going to help push them into the world and help them communicate you know effectively for them um, because as you're probably picking up i love to talk <laughs> my team are probably sick of it but not everyone just um, but if my superpower is to just communicate and chat um, i want to be able to lend that to organizations as best i can while enjoying a balance in life that i have and mm-hmm. doing other things that i enjoy like surfing or going out into the forests.
1: What has been the best wave you've surfed, not the actual wave, like the location?
0: Oh, man, this is going to sound real typical as well, but I'm a fan of Raglan. Um, my partner's not actually a huge fan, um, mostly because it's so competitive because there's so many people out there because it's so popular. Uh, but like Mane Bay, absolutely. I remember I was on a big swell out there and just caught the wave of my life and just screamed along. If it's not there, then it's probably Ahipada up in the far, far north, uh, just because there's a reef break that just – you, I think I caught it and I've got this little watch, you know, I was borrowing from Lena and it's a, I think it was like a 200 meter wave, which sounds ridiculous. And I need to sanity check myself there and go back and check that watch because it sounds like a stupid number. But like, I'm pretty sure it was like a 200 meter wave. that I just cruised along the coast on this thing because it was just enormous. So those are probably the ones that give me the most fulfillment because it's, it's part of the chase. But surfing is like a, um, it's like meditation, right? Because all you've got to do is be out there and be focused on the moment. And so it's one of those rare chances that I'm disconnected from the internet and I'm in my own thoughts and I'm thinking about the, the thing that I'm doing because it's so intentional. You've got to be out there and have intent.
1: I lived in Raglan for 10 or almost 11 years in Whale Bay and I managed to surf a lot. I've got a key to the gate that goes into indicators. So what? I'm very, very, very lucky to be there. I've surfed a lot of um, Ahipada as well, a blue house there, and it's way longer than 200 metres, man, so you have the sanity check yourself there on a big day. <laughs> It's bigger than that. Oh. So when it's like six to eight foot, um, it's long, long waves. Getting around, And you can camp around that corner. I don't know if you still can, actually. Uh, and camp around there. Drive around the corner. I have been out to Ahipada for a long, long time. Yeah,
0: you can, but we don't have a uh, four-wheel drive that
1: was going to take us over that that reef
0: cliff.
1: Neither did I. I had a, a Mazda 323 station wagon. We got around there. <laughs> Love it. Love it.
0: You're not um, one of those unfortunate souls that the locals have to go and pick up with the, the tractor or something because
1: your car's rolled off the edge, have you? No, uh, no, no. Uh, one of my friends actually took a camper van around here, like like one of those Maui ones, those big ones.
0: <laughs> All
1: right. <laughs> make sure you but go on an outbound side there just in case you get stuck because then you've got six I hours. At least... my camper,
0: I was looking, I was like, do I go four-wheel drive? Like, can I get around that corner?
1: Um,
0: <laughs> nah. No, it's just, it's not even worth it. It's
1: probably changed like then. Um, I, I've I've been fortunate enough to surf a lot around the world, actually. And my favorite location to surf would be Mexico. I've I spent uh, seven weeks in Mexico surfing from Baja right down to Guatemala. Um, it is do it, put it on your bucket list. <laughs> Not will, only will. is the, the food, epic, in the people are amazing.
0: Have you been? Have you surfed over in Indonesia, and then there's this one um, wave that's uh, sort of out off the coast a little bit. They take you out in this little fishing boat off the island of Lombok and it's probably a couple of meters out into you know, a couple of hundred meters out and this this seems like a little wall like a little mountain that just slowly moves its way through and there's this little, you know group of about 40 50 different servers that sort of just all jump on this thing when it arrives now yeah, that's a phenomenal wave
1: mm. I've said that one yep <laughs> I've been the there. One? Yeah, yes. Another one yeah another one no awesome man um you are one, so Stimini Growth is coming up in July, and you are one of the facilitators that is going to be there. Can you talk us through exactly what you're going to, not exactly, but uh, a, bit, a bit of a a, um, a brief dis- description of what you're going to be chatting about and what our audience will learn if they attend your sessions workshop?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the title of the workshop is How to Build a Brand with Purpose. And so I think actually, if anyone has listened to this podcast this far, Um, It's going to be a bit of a fair idea. It's it's going to be about designing with intention and to be putting out messages purposefully and choosing your channels purposefully, having a visual identity that supports and complements that message. Um, But as much as that, you know, I think one of the interesting things with brand is a lot of founders design for themselves Mm -hmm. and they design something that they like. And that's important because they're invested in it. They're going to wear it on their, you know, on their sleeve. At the end of the day, you're providing a service for others and your organization primarily really exists bigger than self. And so I'm going to have this message about making sure that you're designing for your audience and that you're using messaging that's going to appeal to your audience and has kind of that emotional resonance that has the pull on the heartstrings for whatever reason and give them a reason to pay attention. So I suppose I'm going to be making sure that I'm not just stuck on identity design and not just chatting around you know the visual design of a logo or anything like that i'm going to be talking about understanding your values but also understanding what your audience value and how you can design toward that
1: has there been a single piece of business advice that you've been given that you thought damn that's a good piece of advice
0: gosh the first thing that springs to mind was an expression that i learned when i was at university not necessarily a um, bit of business advice, but it's an expression that I really value. And that is the, the GAF factor, um, which just essentially stands for give a fuck. And I think that that's what I look for in teams. and That's what I look for in my clients, uh, because they have something that they care about, and it's almost like a stoke meter when you're surfing. Like, do you actually go or are you just out there just having a paddle? Mm. Um, I'm looking for conviction, passion and purpose. and uh, for me, those things are what have built the team culture that I have. Um, that are the type of clients that resonate with us and understand us because they see our passion and they share that. And together we work to collaboratively to make sure that we're pushing our efforts so with our powers combined, right? We're often often gunning it. So that was really the first thing that really started out to me.
1: Awesome. Karen, this has been a really rad chat. It's 50 minutes we've been chatting for. No here's my questions. Didn't ask any of them <laughs> like, like usual. But that's really, it's been really awesome, uh, Karen. I, I had been be fortunate enough to work alongside you um, in our recent projects, and it's been really fun. And I can advocate everything Karen's saying is actually true as well, because that's exactly Honest. what we're doing with this mini growth brand and our, and our brand in the future as well. Um, I don't need to ask you my, this, this question because I already know it. What you do to relax, unwind, because it's surfing, mm-hmm. obviously, and, and relax—not so much relaxing, but getting that yeah. adventure, getting that, filling your cup with stoke. If there's someone out there for last thing, I'll leave it, leave it over, hand it over to you. Someone who's struggling with their brand right now, or even their brand identity, you can finish it however you like. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give them?
0: I would say take a pause, step back, and think about why it is you're doing what you're doing um, beyond the money. And I would say, if you can work out what is driving you forward and the things that you stand for, um, those are the things that you need to communicate. And that will ultimately help you stand out from the crowd. Because you can be one of 100 pizza shops, um, but it's not because you just love pizza. There's got to be something in there. that's signature to you and that gives you that unique point of difference and is true to your personal professional brand character. Um, I think brands are a lot like personalities and I think that is why it's a little bit like having a reputation. So I'd be thinking about what sort of personality your organization has and what motivates you to go forward.
1: Karen, epic way to finish the podcast. I really do appreciate your time. You're a legend. Thank you Thank so you much. Are. Thank you so much. And I look forward to actually seeing you face to face in real life. No, it's
0: going to be
1: great, man. Maybe Thank get a you. surfing. Well, maybe we'll get a surfing. <laughs> Choice, no. man. Thank you so much for your time. You have an epic afternoon. Cut. You too, it out. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast with Kieran. It was amazing, and I hope it added a whole bunch of value to your day. Like I said at the start, it would be awesome if you could please share this podcast around. Any support from you would be Much appreciated from us. Have a great day and thank you so much for tuning into the podcast.